For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What is going on? It's the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus back at the helm as the Los Angeles Clippers have started the season 2-0 and with wins over the Los Angeles Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. We've got a good show for you today. Joey Lynn, who does a tremendous job with his content on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, he'll be on the show. We'll chat about all things Clippers, including Ty Lu and what an incredible job he has done to start PG playing an MVP-type level, Zoo off the bench, Batum giving the Clippers perhaps a little bit more than they expected, and much, much more. So it should be a really fun show, as it's always fun when a team starts off winning. Let's be honest. I mean, when a team is, looks this good to start a season, you've got a lot to talk about. I mean, it becomes really fun to talk about a team that is winning. And you look at the schedule to start the season, perhaps you thought the Clippers may start a little slowly with games against the Lakers and the Nuggets and the Mavericks. And so far, so good. The Clippers have really passed the flying colors. And after a disastrous preseason where they went 0-3 and some skeptics started wondering if the Clippers were any good, they've really done a tremendous job. I mean, I didn't have a podcast after the Laker game, but what the Clippers did in that game was impressive. They did a tremendous job staggering minutes. They got everybody involved. Everybody played a great role. Kawhi and PG were tremendous, and frankly, this team looks to be clicking on all cylinders way earlier than I expected, so it's great to see that. Before we get to Joey, you've heard me talk about what, we do, what we're doing over here at Hoopball, and you've heard me talk about the fantasy pass. I know fantasy draft season is over, and you brewski 150 your way to a hell of a team, but the season has just begun. Fantasy pass is still the best deal in the industry at just $4.99 per month, and now that we're into the regular season, there is zero commitment. Sign up for one month for five bucks. If you don't like it, you can cancel. We know you'll love it though, but it's always nice to have that option. The Fantasy Pass has everything you'll need to dominate all year. Updating projections, new fantasy appraiser tools, schedule and streaming charts, which is huge. You know how many guys or how many games each team has. Pickups, drops, and our newest and coolest feature, the Hoopball Discord server, where you can all hang out with Hoopball pros around the clock and get one-on-one help with your team. I'm on there all the time, helping out, giving advice. It's just like Slack. Go and join this HoopBall Discord. It is awesome. So check it out. Head to hoop-ball.com and click on the Fancy Pass ad just below the main media wall. And of course, there is the bruise letter. I mean, I've got to talk about that quickly. It's free. Everyone loves free stuff. The bruise letter is back. Back and fresh for the 2020-2021 NBA season, our founder Aaron Bruski writing an email and newsletter filled with his most intimate fancy nuggets. It's exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. It's not going to be on social media. It's not going to be in any podcast. It's only in your inbox. So sign up. Really easy to do. The site is bit.ly slash bruiseletter2021. Aaron Bruski straight to your inbox. 
bit.ly slash bruise letter 2021. All right, enough of me. I know you want to hear some Clippers basketball talk. So here it is. Really happy to have Joey back on the podcast. Someone that knows a lot about Clippers basketball and really has made a name for himself in the Clippers community. You can follow him on Twitter. It's Joey. What's the exact Twitter handle? I should have it up right now, and I did. And yeah, Joey Lynn, L-I-N-N, and then underscore. So does Joey Lynn underscore. And then you're on Instagram as well, right? Where can people get you? Uh, yes, I'm on Instagram at clips.convos, and then uh, the same same handle there on YouTube. So I do a lot of the uh, more creative stuff over on that side. And Joey does great stuff on YouTube, breaking down the Clippers and things that really matter. I mean, he did a nice piece on Montrez Harrell. Uh, recently and the difference there and uh, I want to talk first Joey about someone that you have been vocal on Twitter about and I'm here to say that I was partially wrong here I I talked about Doc Rivers uh, a lot on the podcast when there was talk about him being fired and then when eventually he did leave the team and I thought he did a really good job for a couple of things first of all getting the Clippers to where they were and going from a garbage team at the bottom of the basement to a team that became relevant, one that had a lot off the court that he was able to handle with the Donald Sterling stuff, with obviously the COVID and all the stuff during the bubble about the Black Lives Matter. I thought he was a really good voice and someone that kept the locker room together at times. But what we're seeing, Joey, is that there was a disconnect with the Lob City Clippers, where guys like Blake, DJ, CP didn't get along with Doc. Some of them did, some of them didn't. Clearly, CP did not. And then the PG stuff, where he and Doc clearly were not on the same page. Ty Lu, man, it, it really seems like he is the guy that the Clippers have needed. Tell me about your thoughts on what you've seen from Ty and just the differences from Doc. Because you said all along that you never want to see any positive thoughts really about doc thrown around absolutely so doc rivers like you said was great for what he was great for i mean i will never try to downplay the positive impact that he had on the clippers organization but i think it was well said that doc rivers because he is an elite tactician especially on the offensive end has the ability to get the most out of the least which is what we saw in the 2018-19 season where you got the Clippers with uh, a roster with no all-stars, making the playoffs, getting two games off the Warriors. He is great for that. But he's also so stubborn where he gets the least out of the most. And you saw that with Lob City. There were oftentimes uh, veterans past their prime that shouldn't be getting any rotation minutes that Doc continued to run out there. Uh, we saw that last season with Trez as well. So his stubbornness is, is what eventually is uh, the Clippers' downfall in the playoffs oftentimes and, and why you see him being the only coach to not only both two, but three, three, one lead throughout his career. But transitioning now to Ty Lue, one thing that I think uh, kind of gets overlooked with him is how good he is as a tactician, because you were kind of alluding to it a little bit. He's great in the locker room, right? I mean, he is known as a player friendly coach. I mean, he, he tamed those LeBron teams that had a lot of interesting dynamics. It seems as if he's done the same with this Clippers team. But uh, I think people oftentimes stop there with Ty Lue is they, they look at what he does with locker rooms and the positive impact he has there, but then they stop there and they don't talk about uh, the great offense that he is able to produce. And uh, we saw that in Cleveland. 
oftentimes, um, like I said, it gets overlooked, but I talked about it in a YouTube video where Cleveland, um, they were good, but Ty Lue, and you can look at it in the offensive rating um, and a lot of different statistics, he elevated their level of play, especially on the offensive end, uh, as, as soon as he showed up. So I'm really excited to see what he can continue to do, but I'm already encouraged by what I've seen so far because in just the first two games, he has already had this team looking exponentially different than they did last season. That's both offensive sets and rotation. So, yeah, I feel really good about the difference between uh, Doc and Ty Lue. I'm going to bring up some numbers to just solidify the claims you just made about the rotations and then about just how the team has changed. So all of these are from Justin Russo, who just does an unreal job with some of this stuff at Fly By Night on Twitter. So 47% of the Clippers' field goal attempts have been three-pointers so far this season. It was 37.5 last year. Then you can look at a couple of different things. The Clippers are averaging 317 passes per game, up from 271 per game last season, which was the third fewest in the NBA. It shows how much now the Clippers are passing the ball. A couple more for you. The Clippers had 39 field goal attempts in the first half yesterday. 31 of them were in the paint or from three. Very Rockets-esque. And one more. Through two games this season, Kawhi and or PG have been on the floor for all but 123 out of a possible 96 minutes. 83 seconds only came in the final minute of the games that were already decided. There's a lot to unpack there, but I want to talk about one thing first, and that is the ball movement. Because that's something that really jumped out of the page in game number one against the Lakers, Joey. It's something that I'm happy to see because there's nothing that drives me more nuts than ISO basketball and someone trying to become the hero. I mean, there's nothing worse than a guy like Lou Williams having the ball for 15 seconds and then throwing up a contested jumper. There, There really is nothing worse. How happy so far are you with what you've seen offensively in the ball movement? Extremely happy. And I think if you look back to some of the Lob City teams, that was an issue, especially down the stretch. It seemed as if when the game was on the line, other teams, especially elite teams, had a game plan. They were running their offense. They were sticking to their game. Oftentimes with the Clippers, it seemed like the ball would stick uh, and it would just be iso ball, like you said. And we saw that last year. Kawhi himself said it. He said that we played way too much iso last year, especially when it mattered. And we saw that when it seemed as if games were starting to collapse and teams like Denver were were going to their game, playing their game. The Clippers were just putting the ball in the hands of whether it be Kawhi or PG or Lou and just saying, go get us a bucket. But I mean, that can be schemed against. It doesn't matter how good of a player you have out there. If that's all you're doing, that can be schemed against. And we saw that time and time again in the playoffs. And that's a big reason why they blew the lead that they had. So, so far, Uh, I've been very happy with the ball movement, and I do want to give a shout-out to Nick Batum because I think he is a very integral part to what we've seen so far as it pertains to the ball movement. And this is not a knock on Marcus Morris. They're just different players. Marcus Morris is a guy who, when he gets the ball, uh, he has a lot more um, offensive creation ability than Nick Batum does, so that can lead to the ball sticking at times. But with Batum, when he gets the ball, it seems like he's been doing something positive with it Every single time he has yet to do something out there on offense where I'm frustrated and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to tweet out why, why the hell did he do that? You know what I mean? So I I've been very uh, pleased with not only the intentionality that's been placed on ball movement, but also the players like Batum 
who have been in good spots to to execute that game plan. Yeah, Batum has always been known as someone that can pass the ball and a very good creator. I mean, he was someone that you could count on in fantasy basketball, for example, to always provide assists from someone that's at the small forward, power forward position. And also, he's a guy that racks up steals and blocks. I mean, he's just a good defender. And when the Clippers got him for the contract that they did, obviously, they, they pay him in for someone that is getting older and has not been able really to stay healthy and had a really bad year last year. You're not assuming you're going to get somebody that's going to play a ton of minutes and be a really key part of your rotation. I mean, we all expected Marcus Morris would start coming into the year. And then of course he got hurt. And so Batum has become the starter and something that became a conversation on Twitter yesterday was whether Batum should stay in the starting lineup and Marcus Morris should come off the bench because Here's my take, Joey, and then I want to get yours. Marcus Morris is a guy, obviously, that can help switch defensively on anybody. I think Batum can really do the same. Then you look at how Marcus Morris is a guy that really needs the ball a little bit more than Batum. And with PG and Kawhi on the floor, and now with a center in Ibaka that I think is much better offensively um, in terms of his ability to spread the floor than a guy like Zoo. I think it may make sense when you look at that second unit because we're not far off, remember, from everyone wor- worrying about that power forward position because Batum wasn't great initially during the preseason and people thought, okay, that was going to be a problem. So my thought is you bring Marcus Morris off the bench, give him some more scoring with Lou Williams off the bench. You have Zoo, who's great defensively, and you can spread the floor with guys like Kennard, Marcus Morris, Lou Williams, and then you keep the Batum unit together, at least for now, you don't need to keep Batum playing absurd minutes, but I think it just does a good job of staggering. And of course, Doc has shown that already, I mean, sorry, Ty Lue has shown that with the numbers that we said about PG and Kawhi, that one of them is going to be on the floor at all times. So I think Marcus Morris just brings more off the bench to a unit that may need a little more spark than the starting unit. What do you think? So it's a really interesting point and one that if you asked me even just a week ago, I would have said absolutely no way Marcus Morris needs to be back in the starting lineup when he gets back. Yeah, same And here. the reason why that would have been my answer is because one thing that you see quite frequently with this Clippers unit is that uh, that four spot is getting probably the most wide open shots out of anybody. And we saw that last year with Marcus Morris. When he first got here, it wasn't great. Uh, But when he got into the playoffs, he was making that shot. And that's why they got him. If you remember, just go back to the beginning of last season when Mo Harkless was the starting four. The reason why they had to get rid of Mo, a player who I liked, was that he was getting far too many open looks that he just wasn't knocking down. And that's why they needed to substitute him for a player like Mo who can make that shot. So that's why if you would ask me a week ago, I would have said, no, Marcus Morris needs to start absolutely because that shot is his shot. I mean, people have talked about it on Twitter already. These open looks that you're seeing Batum get, uh, those are going to be Marcus Morris's shots once he gets back. However, Batum has shown the ability to knock down that shot so far. This was a question mark coming into this season because as you already mentioned, he didn't look good at all last season. For whatever the reasons were, he did not shoot the three ball well last year. I think he was just around 30%. But if you take a trip back to the 2018-19 season, he was up around 38%, 39%. So if he can return to that level of shooting, which so far he has been around, he was two for five last night, which is 
very serviceable. He can stay in that spot and the unit can operate just fine. But I think his ability to stay in the starting lineup is going to be dependent on his ability to knock down that shot. Because as great as he is intangibly moving the basketball, um, defensively grabbing rebounds, outlet passes, bringing the ball to the floor, all of those things are fantastic. I think the biggest uh, attribute that our starting four needs to have is an ability to knock down the open three because we have seen that shot be available time and time again. So if he can continue to do that, I have no issue with him staying in the starting lineup, but I think it's going to be dependent on whether or not he can keep his three ball around 38 to 40 percent. How do you think he would uh, how do you think Marcus Morris would uh, fare with the bench unit? So I think it'll be an interesting dynamic because similarly to the starting unit, uh, that four spot has an opportunity to get a lot of looks because one thing we've seen with Ibaka so far that's different from Trez or excuse me, uh, Zoo is that in the uh, when, when he sets screens for guys like Kawhi or PG, he's usually kind of hanging around the three point line. It's more of a pick and pop with him as opposed to Zoo, who's a roller. And Ibaka has the ability to roll, but I, I don't think I've seen him roll at all this season. Uh, once he's setting screens, he's hanging around the three-point line, and he's knocking down that shot, which is fantastic. But in the second unit, when you have the Zoo and Lou pick and roll, what it's doing is that because Zoo has become such a good roller, uh, it is drawing weak side help, and that's leaving a, a man open in the corner. Zoo, unfortunately, there was a play, uh, I think in the third quarter yesterday, where Zoo completely missed a wide open, I think it was PG in the corner, um, on, on a pick and roll where there was weak side help that came to defend on the roll and there was a wide open man in the corner and, and Zoo missed him. But that's something that they can coach up. And um, basically what I'm trying to say is that in the second unit, there's going to be maybe even more opportunities for open shots for a guy like Marcus Morris than in the starting lineup because you have a roller in Zoo that is going to demand some weak side help that could potentially leave Marcus Morris open in the corner. So those are just some observations that I've had early on in the season. Obviously, it's early through two games. A lot can change. But I think Morris is is a guy who can do well uh, in both units. You just got to hope that, you know, since he's got his money, he'd be fine, you know, in a role like that. Um, but that those are some of the decisions that Ty Lue is going to have to make. And I think it's a good problem to have because I think so far uh, in this young season – we got a guy in Zoo who could play the majority of the center minutes on any given night. A guy like Ibaka who could play the majority of the minutes. And then you got the same good problem with the power forward rotation. These were problems we did not have last year. So I'm very thankful and excited for that. It's funny you bring that up and you say we didn't have that problem last year. Because preseason, going into last year, it, it was obvious the Clippers had a really deep team. I mean, if you wanted to compare the Lakers and the Clippers, which we did on this podcast we said, all right, the Clippers have a way better bench than the Lakers. And going into this year, my thought was, okay, the Lakers have a deeper bench, and they may have a better bench in terms of names that are going to get them points, and if you look at the box score, it may look better. But my thought is that going into the playoffs, I think this bench is much better than what the Lakers will show and what the Clippers had last year. I mean, it is obvious that everyone on Clippers Twitter, wanted to see Trez gone. As much as we liked what he contributed to the team and the energy he brought, there was just stuff in the locker room and there was just stuff defensively where he just stole minutes from Zoo and it made no sense to have him on the floor and we were happy to have him gone so that 
a guy like Ty Lue wasn't forced to play him. So you may look at the guys on the bench and say, okay, well, I think the Lakers probably have a better bench. And we did that on the last episode of this podcast. We compared the Lakers and Clippers again for the second straight year. But I think this team, Joey, is much better set up for the playoffs than the one we saw last year. Would you agree? You know, man, I learned a lot about basketball last year. And obviously, I considered myself going into the season a guy who had not only a lot of, a lot of knowledge on the game, but a lot of knowledge about the Clippers. I mean, I've watched this team religiously since I was a kid. So uh, I learned a lot. And one of the things that I learned last year was that uh, championships aren't won on paper. And you can't look at a team that looks good on paper and think that that's going to translate to winning playoff basketball. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people made last season, myself admittedly as well, where you looked at the Clippers roster and you say, wow, I mean, they got Lou Williams, a guy who can give you 20. You know, Montrez Harrell, a guy who, who can give you 20. And then you looked at, you know, up and down the lineup, guys that were scorers and, and guys that were fantastic at what they did. But, you know, it, it didn't account for, for some of the things you need come playoff time. And I think that's the way the Clippers and the Lakers rosters have essentially switched this year. And a lot of the the casual NBA takes, you know, people in the mainstream media are saying, wow, the Lakers got significantly deeper, significantly better, while the Clippers lost some of their depth. Well, in my opinion, the Clippers added championship-friendly players, while the Lakers lost a few and added some of the guys like the Clippers had last year that will be good for regular season production, but come playoff time, they're their inabilities on the defensive end or, or whatever else it may be are going to be potentially a fatal flaw. So um, to give a few examples, so far I think Batum has looked like a very championship-friendly player. He's a guy who's not going to hijack the offense. He's a guy who's going to make the right play. And so far he's been a guy who can knock down an open shot and defend way better than I had anticipated, especially when you kind of looked at the way he was moving in the preseason. He, he looked like he was moving pretty slow in the preseason. And uh, I know myself and some others thought, okay, maybe he's just he's lost it. You know what I mean? But he's he's looked significantly better. And then obviously you you can't have this conversation and not talk about Ibaka, who was a guy who essentially does it all. I mean, we saw him making plays last night. Um, he can he can defend obviously significantly better than Trez can, and he can knock down the shot. So um, to answer your question, yes, the Clippers are on paper not as deep as they were last year, but. For people who know basketball and watch basketball and went through what we went through last season, they are significantly more equipped to be a better playoff team than they were last season. Yeah, if you look at what the Lakers did last year, they may not have had some of the names that you would want on your team. Guys like Caruso, Caldwell Pope, uh, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. I mean, you look at these guys that aren't great, but the one thing that they did is that they knew their role. And they filled the role perfectly. And they had a semblance of a defensive strategy and an offensive strategy. The difference is, this year with the Clippers, is that they have an actual offense that you can see on paper. I mean, you can see a complete difference in the offense that was ran last year versus this year. We brought up earlier with the number of passes that you're seeing. So the benefit of that now, Joey is that if you were to lose somebody, which is going to happen at some point, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be COVID, you're going to lose somebody. What you do when you have an offense that is set, like the way Ty Lue has set it, with all the shots within the paint 
and from three, which was very rocket Rockets-esque, is that you have guys that can slide in and they know their role and they're not forced to do too much because they know what they need to do. And that's a benefit because if you do lose somebody, it's not as hard to fill a spot when you have an actual offense that you're running. And in the long run, that means that you're better set up, set up for the playoffs as well because you have an offense, you know what everybody's role is, and you'll be set going forward. Absolutely. And we talked about it time and time again, but that is essentially what the Clippers' problem was last year. When it came down to it, it seemed as if they did not have a game plan. They did not have something to where when the going got tough, that's what they went to. Kawhi said it. I mean, they played too much ISO last year, and it's funny because I know a lot of fans who aren't necessarily analysts that expressed that concern to me. I mean, on Instagram, Twitter, multiple different times, they said, Joey, what's going on? I mean, the Clippers are playing way too much ISO. And I think me, in my attempt to look at the game analytically, maybe even missed some of that last year because... You know, if you just take a step back and and look at the game for what it truly is, you can see a lot of different instances where the Clippers did not have an offensive game plan. And it's funny because Doc actually had a lot of defenders in myself, other people amongst the Clippers community and media realm where we had seen what Doc did with the Clippers roster last year. And I think we gave him way too much benefit of the doubt And it took until what we saw in the playoffs for us to really start to turn on him because, um, you know, we were saying, all right, you know, we know what Doc can do. You know, he led the Clippers to, you know, a top seven offense last year with a a, a really, um, you know, less than talented roster. So we know what he can do. But in reality, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning of this podcast. Doc gets the most out of the least and the least out of the most. And it all comes down to stubbornness. Um, So I think when you now look at what the Clippers are doing so far through these first two games, you can see a significant difference in their game plan, which going back to the question or comment that you made is going to be beneficial if a guy like Kawhi goes down, you know, if he has to miss a game or two, especially after that shot he took last night, because you can have somebody step into his role and they're not going to do what Kawhi can do, but there's going to be a plan. And uh, that's been the biggest difference so far. Let's take a quick break to talk about our friends over at MyBookie. You've heard me talk about them before. MyBookie.ag truly is the best place to gamble and make some money. If you didn't get in on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play, allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250, basically a free shot to try and double your money, what are you doing? Now is the best time to get some skin in the game with my bookie, whether it's odds boosts, lightning deals, free bets, all season long, NFL playoffs right around the corner. We know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of. It's not difficult to find some value in these lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or you've been playing with my bookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines. The guys over at Hoopball Gaming do a tremendous job handicapping it. They want you to make money because they want to make money, and they're telling you what games they're betting on it's that simple make the right play sign up today at my bookie when you do use the promo code hoopball to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to a thousand bucks the terms are simple you put in 200 
they'll match you with another 100 in your account. If you're already playing to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at my bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Back to Joey. As long as the ball is moving, your offense is going to be okay. I, I, I truly believe that. That as long as the ball is moving, you're going to be fine. It's hard to defend. It's really hard to defend. And if you move the ball, you're going to find somebody open. It's just going to happen. And when you look at the Clippers coming into this season, there was talk about, okay, they lost Trez. Well, here's the thing. Kennard is an upgrade over Shamit. I mean, I am way more confident with Kennard shooting a three ball than I was with Shamit. As hot as Shamit could get at times, I just think Kennard's a better player. Ibaka, it's night and day between him and Trez. I mean, him stepping out, shooting the three ball, his ability to defend a little bit better. I just think that what the Clippers did, it may seem like the Lakers are a team that got better because they got guys like Trez, but that's not the case. I think that they got worse, and I've talked about it the last several weeks, that they lost their identity defensively. And for the Clippers side, I want to bring this back to Paul George because you mentioned Kawhi and how we'll see if he has to miss a game or two. There was nothing more obvious coming into this season, and you can look at fantasy basketball circles as well, than Paul George having a redemption season. Nothing more obvious. I mean, it was as big of a lock as locks can go. This is a guy that was a couple of years removed from a top three MVP campaign, top three defensive player of the year campaign, He was better than people think he was in the bubble. And yes, he has struggled in some big games. But man, dude, I know you love silencing the haters. That's one of your favorite things to do. PG has just been remarkable. Well, without giving away too much of what I'm working on right now. Oh, let's go. (laughs) My next YouTube video is is going to be... uh, Along those lines of, of what you just brought up, because um, we've seen it so far, man. And I had the confidence as well, because I honestly think if you watched the Clippers last year, you could see that PG had not fallen off like some people wanted to say that he had. I mean, he averaged 29 points per game last year. And I'm about to start getting into some of the stats I was studying last night. But he he averaged 20 or excuse me, 29 minutes per game last year which was the lowest that he had ever averaged since his rookie season. Hmm. And if you compare the per 36 stats between last year and his top three MVP campaign in his last season with OKC, the numbers are almost identical. And in fact, the efficiency is better. Paul George was a more efficient player last season than he was in his top three MVP finish in OKC. So because of that, I had a lot of confidence going forward with PG, not just because of his new mindset, but because he's just going to play more. He's healthier. He's got Ty Lue. He's going to get the minutes and the opportunities to do what we know he can do. That's all he really needed. But when you combine that with a full offseason of training and a new mentality, I mean, dude, like you said, it was a lock. And, you know, so far we've seen that. And, And Kawhi, as great as he is, hasn't been as great as he can be so far. And the numbers support that. But in Kawhi's I guess you could call him struggles so far. He hasn't shot the ball as well as he can. PG has stepped up and has been the the 1B to Kawhi's 1A that we've needed him to be uh, so far. So that needs to continue. I have confidence that it will. But yeah, as I said, man, I'm working on something right now that uh, hopefully kind of brings that to a little bit more light. 
the guy's a straight-up sniper from deep, and he's just a great ball player. I mean, he is one of the premier two-way players in this league. And he said before the season, obviously, that he just did not like the offense that he was running. He thought there was too much of him just what was pick and roll. I think that he was coming off of, right. Or was he, he was complaining too much about an offense that doc was running and saying, I've never ran that much in my entire life. And this is a guy that's so versatile. And when you pigeonhole him into one thing and make the majority of his looks come from one individual play, you're really hamstringing yourself. You know, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense and you can't treat a guy like PG like he's J.J. Redick. I mean, that's that's not the way that things should go, whether it's a pin down, whatever it is that you're going to get his looks from. It makes sense that when you move the ball, you have a guy like PG that can get different looks in different areas. That's what we've seen so far, right? Well, I've seen it already where he was talking about it on the podcast and, you know, he caught a lot of heat for it, but he's, you know, he's going to get hate no matter what. So I don't really uh, pay that much mind, but um, he was complaining that, yeah, he was being used as a Ray Allen or J.J. Redick. But, I mean, honestly, he was being used like a Landry Shamit, where they were running him um, off of screens. And he's a great shooter, so he can do that. Um, you know, he, he can be that guy because of how elite of a shooter he is. But if you put him in more actions that allow him to get downhill, get to the basket, get to the free throw line, kind of initiate and dictate the offense a little bit more, it's going to allow him to get rhythm but also just get more opportunities to score. I mean, he is too good of a player to only utilize his ability to shoot. I mean, he's a fantastic shooter. You just talked about it, but you can't only utilize his ability to shoot. You got to utilize his ability to get downhill, uh, overpower defenders, and and uh, dictate the offense because he has that ability. We've seen it so far. I mean, he had nine assists last night, so he can do a lot more than Doc Rivers was allowing him to do, which is why I am extremely confident that he is going to return to top 10 player form this season. And if he does, that's what makes the Clippers so dangerous because that's who they were supposed to be last season. And we only saw it um, for for stretches of, of games at a time. So if we can continue to keep him and Kawhi healthy and playing at this level, it's going to be uh, a lot better than we saw last season. You know what's interesting? You brought up the ability to get to the free throw line. And it really seems like there is no better player for this new Ty Lue offense of things coming from deep or in the paint than Paul George. I mean, it really is catered towards him. In a way, it seems like Ty Lue is catering the offense towards the guy that he knows needs to get going in order for them to win a title. Because they cannot win a title if they don't have Kawhi and PG as a legit 1A and one B. I truly believe that they need to be as good as he sh- as each other. Can Kawhi be the guy that goes and gets that game-winning bucket? Absolutely. But PG needs to be right there. I believe in order for the Clippers to succeed. Do you agree? Absolutely. And we've seen it so far, and it needs to continue. But I have confidence that it will, because, like you said, that seems to be the point of emphasis for the Clippers. I mean, last year, obviously, PG was playing a career low in minutes, but he was at a career low in free throw attempts as well. And and there's two different, I think, reasons for that. The first is that we saw him used as a J.J. Redick, where he's being ran off of screens to get good looks from three. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. He can do that, like he said, but there's a lot more to his game. 
So that's the first reason why I think he was uh, at a career low in free throw attempts. Well, career low since he was a rookie and and didn't really play that much because he came off the bench as a rookie. So I want to I want to preface it by saying that. Um, but uh, another reason why is that he talked about it. He was oftentimes shying away from contact last year because he didn't have full and complete confidence in his shoulders. He was coming off of double shoulder sh- shoulder surgery, did not get an off season to train, and. Uh, subsequently was not able to have entire confidence in his body, in his shoulders, and he was shying away from contact that he would normally go through and potentially draw a foul. So we're seeing that so far this season. We saw it a few times in the Christmas game where he is now going through contact instead of trying to shy away from contact. And I think we're going to see his free throw rate go up this season um, because last year he only averaged four and a half free throws per game. He was at seven in his top three MVP f- finish in OKC. So, I mean, he's this is a guy who's, you know, close to a 90% free throw shooter. So if he's getting to the line, those are, you know, four more points per game that he can average uh, if he just continues to attack and get downhill. And, and if the offense and Ty Lue puts him in positions to do so. So, I mean, we, we can say so many different things about Paul George and why we think he's going to be great this year. Um, that's, I, I, like, I, I know a lot of these numbers cause I was studying them last night for this video I'm working on. Um, but I have a lot of confidence that what we've seen so far is, is going to be the norm this season. I had a conversation with Jovan about zoo in the second unit versus him starting and how the whole point of Trez leaving was to get zoo more minutes. And if you are going to start Ibaka, over a guy like Zoo, then what the what's the point? But that being said, we've seen that Ty Lue is going to play him a decent amount of minutes off the bench. And I didn't like it at first that Zoo was coming off the bench. I didn't think it made sense because I thought that you wanted to get Zoo in there because he's great defensively. But this has worked. I mean, I am surprised that this whole Ibaka starting Zoo coming off the bench and still getting Zoo 20 plus minutes has worked. Is that something that you were anticipating? It was not something that I was anticipating, but it is something that I have wanted to talk about for quite some time now. So I'm glad that I now have the opportunity to do so because on opening night against the Lakers, Zoo played more minutes than Serge did. And in the Christmas game, Serge was at 21 and Zoo was at 19. That is a discrepancy we have never seen with Zoo since he came to the Clippers. And I think it's amazing because what Ty Lue is showing an ability to do is that while he may like Ibaka with the starters, that doesn't mean that he's going to run Ibaka into the ground. He's still going to use Zoo significantly more than Doc used him last season. And that's why it is proven to not really matter who starts and who comes comes off the bench as it pertains to the center rotation because Ty Lue is going to put Zoo in spots to be successful. And so far, he has done that. And I have been extremely encouraged by that because, you know, you had Trez last year who did not warrant really any playing time at all in the playoffs, but definitely not more playing time than Zoo, but he consistently played more than Zoo. Well, you have Ibaka now who, I mean, you could definitely argue is a better player than Zoo. He's he, he can defend the paint. He's a seven-footer just like Zoo, but he can, he can do significantly more on offense. So you could technically justify playing Ibaka 30 minutes a night and, and playing Zoo 15 minutes a night. You can justify that way more than you could justify playing Trez that 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 many minutes. But we haven't seen that so far. And it is a great problem to have when you have two centers who can both do the job. But, I mean, having Ty Lue, the way he's managed this so far, I could not be happier. 
Yeah, man. It's one thing to have expectations of a guy coming in and knowing what he did with Cleveland and how he just did a great job with LeBron and that it wasn't just LeBron. But then to see it in action, it's really been incredible. I mean, you look at Zoo. He had 12 points in 19 minutes yesterday, and he obviously got into some foul trouble. But he was still a plus nine in the game that they won by 13. So that really is not bad at all, considering the highest plus minus yesterday was plus 14 for Paul George. So this is a team that really seems like it's finding its footing early on. And if you looked at the schedule coming in, you would have thought, oh, crap. You got the Lakers on the road. You got Denver on the road. Then you have Dallas. I mean, it really seems like the NBA is trying to say, F you, here's the two teams that you faced in the playoffs, and here's the team that you should have faced in the Western Conference Finals. Good luck. And so far, the Clippers are saying, well, F you. We're 2-0, and and now we're at home against a Dallas team that has not been good early on, although it is a 12-30 game. We know how the Clippers do in those 12-30 games. But it, it, I cannot be happier with the start so far, Joey. Oh, no doubt, man. And, you know, it's funny you bring up tomorrow's game. I'm a little bit concerned about tomorrow's game, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, yeah, I think there's that Clippers PTSD that you got to account for. I mean, us as fans, it's hard to be an optimist about essentially anything just with, with everything we've been through. But I am a little bit concerned about tomorrow's game. I'm super happy with what I've seen so far. I just hope they keep that level of intensity tomorrow. I think tomorrow is the first real test to see if this Clippers culture has actually changed. Because we saw it last season time and time again. The Clippers had a tendency to take their foot off the gas pedal. Whether that would be in games they led by 20 or you know, when they're playing teams that they probably should beat. We saw it far too many times last year where they took their foot off the gas pedal and they lost a game they should have won. So take this situation right here. It's a perfect situation. You have the Lakers opening night who people thought you were going to lose to. You beat them. You go on to Denver on Christmas. You lost to Denver in the playoffs, so people are talking about that narrative. You take care of business on Christmas. You beat Denver. So it's like, all right, we're rolling now, right? We're rolling. We got the Mavs. We handled them last year. They've looked pretty bad so far this season. No Porzingis. You cannot approach this game with that mentality, and I will be extremely upset if they do. If they take care of business in this game, I will be very, very pleased, and it will be another indication that there is a significant difference from last season to this season. Yeah, this game tomorrow is a game that the Clippers lose last year, and if they don't, then you see a significant growth in this team, and we've already seen step one yesterday, not blowing that double-digit lead, I mean, it started to get close there, and everyone started to worry, and you thought, oh no, here we go again, but the Clippers held on to win by double digits. A game tomorrow, if you're able to come in with that killer instinct to start 3-0 and and beat a Dallas team in a 12-30 game that you lose last year, I think it would show another step in the right direction for this Clippers team, and man, Joey, I, I-, I like being excited. I know that really nothing matters in the regular season and because the postseason is what really will show what does matter, but it's the steps in the regular season that get you to the point in the postseason where you can get over the hump. It's the little things like not blowing a double-digit lead, beating a team in a 12-30 game, moving the ball, showing that you have changed from previous years. The Clippers never showed that they changed from previous years in the Lob City era. They've shown that they've changed from last year. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I think, honestly, 
the narrative about the regular season, it kind of gets misconstrued because, I mean, look at the team who took the regular season the most serious last year. It was the Lakers. I mean, they had their foot on the gas pedal every single night. As a Lakers hater, it was frustrating to watch because I was wanting them to lose games, and they wouldn't. When teams would start to come back, they would make their run. And that's what the great teams do. So I don't want people to try to say that the regular season has no significance at all. Because we saw last year, the Clippers were a very up-and-down team. They had a lot of problems in the regular season that leaked into the playoffs. So obviously championships aren't won in the regular season, but championship habits are created in the regular season. And that is what I want to see continue to happen with this Clippers team. Yeah, me too. Man, it's been good. Joey, love having you on, man. This was the fastest 40 minutes that I have ever had talking <laughs> Clippers basketball. It's been great. You can follow Joey on Twitter at Joey Lynn underscore. Shout out that Instagram handle one more time, Joey. Uh, yes, sir. It's uh, clips.convo. So, I mean, that's where I break down a bunch of Clippers conversation topics. I do the same thing on YouTube at the same handle. So, uh, I appreciate all my followers on there. You know, it's funny. I talked about it on Twitter a couple of days ago where I started that Instagram page because Doc Rivers was playing Avery Bradley 30 minutes a game and I needed somewhere to complain about it. And, uh, you know, it's it's grown exponentially since then. And I, I, you know, can't thank everybody enough who's who's continued to contribute to all the content that I've been creating over the years. Joey's one of the best follows on Twitter. He knows his stuff when it comes to Clippers basketball. So he will be back on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. No doubt about it. Joey, big thank you, man. Yes, sir. My pleasure, man. I appreciate you having me. A lot of Clippers talk in there. Hope you enjoyed that. Joey is always a fantastic guest, and I wasn't kidding. I mean, that 40 minutes absolutely flew by. When you're talking about a team that's winning, it's always fun to chat as long as possible and get some great takes, and Joey did just that. It's always fun talking with him, expecting to have him on in the future throughout the season. Before we go, though, I got to tell you about our friends over at Manscaped. You've heard me talk about that lawnmower 3.0. It's just awesome. I mean, what it does when you're trying to clean down there, it's so precise with its cleaning. You're not going to get nicks, which I know could be a little terrifying down there, but it does a tremendous job of getting everything that you want to get rid of and not cutting you at all. Also, there's a light so you can see there's a tremendous thing that you could do. Bring you into the shower because it's waterproof. It's got a USB charger. There is so much to love about the Lawnmower 3.0. I want you to go and have it. I mean, it is just such a good deal. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Whether you want to trim down there or you want to trim your face, it does a great job doing that as well. You can get a replaceable blade every three months to keep your weed whack and time clean. Look, fellas, I got to tell you, not just the hair on your face and down there, but also the weed whacker is another thing that Manscaped has, which is a nose and ear hair trimmer. Go ahead, go to Manscaped, get all the products you can get your hands on, 20% off, free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. All right, so we'll be back next week. We'll talk more Clippers basketball the Clippers have an interesting couple of games coming up. It all starts tomorrow, a game against Dallas, which seems like a bit of a trap. You're facing a team without Christos Porzingis. Luka obviously is tremendous. He killed the Clippers during the postseason. It's a 12-30 game, which we saw the Clippers really struggle with. So we'll see how they react. If you like this podcast, 
Go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you rate and review your podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Review it as well. It does help as we continue to get this podcast growing so more and more people can listen. A big thank you to you, the listener, for listening. I'm Brandon Marcus. We'll talk to you next time. Until then, go Clips. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.